TanachStudy.com, the podcast program in which we study Parashat Shavuot over the course of six podcasts during the week which that parsha is read. My name is Yitzchak Et Shalom. It's my honor to be studying the second half of Sefer Shemot with you. We are now in Parshat Mishpatim, and this is our fourth podcast, podcast and we are now in Perak Chaf Bet, uh, Pasuk Tet Vav. Um, the, we broke the law code down into several sections. The first section dealing with essentially uh, the establishment of uh, Hebrew slavery and then murder. The second uh, dealing pr- pretty much with assault. The third one dealing with property damage, what we call these kemamon. And this relatively short section, uh, which goes from Tetvav through uh, Pasuk Chafvav, all of uh, uh, 10, um, 10 psukim, sorry, 12 psukim, um, is really focused on taking care of the disenfranchised in society, a theme which continues throughout the Torah uh, in Parshat Kedoshim, uh, throughout Sefer Dvarim, especially in Parshat Re'eh and Kitetse, uh, but it's introduced here. And uh, interestingly enough, it begins with a law that we would not think of as being part of that group of the disenfranchised, but we will see. Let's see what this is talking about. means to seduce. So if a man seduces a bitula, which means an unmarried girl, a maiden, as we might call her, technically a virgin, although bitula doesn't always speak to the physical characteristics as much as the marital status. Ashela olo orasa, who was not betrothed, vishachavima, and lies with her. Which means this is a girl who is of evidently of marriageable age, but is not yet betrothed, and um, he lies with her, he has relations with her. However, yifate implies that he somehow got her to agree to it. Then, mahoryim harvena loli isha, he should quickly take her as a wife. However, the word maher, quickly here, is going to take on a double meaning in the next pasuk. Uh, several items about marriage in the ancient world, which are important to present here, to put this into a context. In the ancient world, a uh, girl could be betrothed, which means promised to a man from without exaggeration, the day of birth. If a clan wanted to marry another clan, and there was a member of one of the clans who was pregnant, he could easily come to the head of the clan and say, uh, if that woman gives birth to a daughter, I want to betroth her, and such an arrangement could be made. And the girl would have no say about it. Um, this is something that in most of our society today we don't do anymore, uh, and uh, nonetheless, that's how things operated. But betrothed is not the same as married. Betrothed, or orasa, or erusin, means that she is destined to become this fellow's husband, but is not yet living with him and is living at home. So this is a girl who is a betula, unmarried, and not only that, she's asher lo orasa, she's not even betrothed. The reason that's critical is because if a betrothed girl, even from the age of one, um, has relations with another man that's considered adultery. Now, of course, if the girl herself is very young, then she can't give consent, and what we would call statutory rape. And she would be 
blameless and the fellow would be guilty and of a capital crime. But if the girl is not betrothed, then it's merely what we would refer to as premarital sex, which does not have particular sanctions in the Torah except for this, which is he must marry her. Now, you would wonder why anybody would want to get married in circumstances like that. Meaning, why would a father agree to have his daughter marry somebody who had seduced her? And the answer is, again, part of the sociology of the times, is that a girl who had had relations beforehand, and it became a known thing, um, in many contexts, this would be shameful for the family, but it would also really mark her and make her an unappealing candidate for marriage. And as a result, to protect her, and that's why I included this in laws protecting the disenfranchised, to protect her, the man is obligated to marry her. And then we continue, If the father refuses to give her to him, which means the father can refuse, and Midrash Chachamim, she can also refuse. She could say, I don't want to marry this guy. Then, Kesef Yishkol, he has to weigh out silver. Kemohar Habitulot. Mohar Habitulot is understood halachically to mean the value of the Ketubah. The value of the Ketubah in Torah terminology is Chamishim Shekel, 50 Shekel. And so that is paid if she doesn't want to marry him, which means either way he's going to owe 50 Shekel. Either he'll marry her, and then she'll have a ketubah, which will be 50 shekel, or else, 50 shekel is not today's 50 shekel, it's tens of thousands of dollars, or uh, she won't marry him, in which case he'll have to pay that as a fine, and this comes into the category in Torah, or is referred to as knasot, in which there is a flat fee regardless of his stature, her stature, etc., now, this parasha dovetails with a parallel parasha in Kitetse, in Dvarim, in chapter 23 in Dvarim, where we read <clears throat> that if a man, among all the different laws relating to, uh, relating to uh, different violations of sexual norms, uh, including adultery, um, etc., it also deals with the case of rape of an unmarried girl, but that's rape. Right? And so we'll see how that is worded um, in, uh, in, excuse me, it's in Parakhafet, um, and that is in Pasuk um, uh, Chaf. Chaf Chet. Same phrasing, but here she's called a Na'ara. And Na'ara halachically puts her in the age group of uh, right at marriageable age, which is around 12 or so, right around puberty. Utfasa, he grabs her, v'shachavima, and lies with her. This is what we call rape. V'nimtsau, and they're found. V'natana isha shachavima lavia na'ara chamishim kasef. He has to give the father chamishim kasef, which is the value of the ketubah. Now again in this case, she can refuse halachically, or the father can refuse to go through with the marriage, in which case he's going to have to pay it in any case. Um, but he doesn't have such a choice, and therefore the Torah continues, isha. She is uh, to him as a wife. Tachat in lieu of the fact that he oppressed her, 
never divorce her. And that is the law of the anusa, of the rape victim, which is parallel, and is seen as parallel, with ours, with the great exception of consent in our case. And that's where we get the chamishim shekel, as the value of moar habetulot, and that is where the school of thought that ketubah deoraita, that the obligation of the ketubah is a Torah obligation, is anchored. Back in our parasha, Pasuk Yod Zayin, we have a very short parasha of three words, Mechashefa lo techayeh. Mechashefa means a witch or a wizard or somebody who's engaged in occult practices. Why is Mechashefa presented here in the feminine, whereas almost all default cases in Mishpatim are masculine, and only when the Torah wants to expand it will it say ish o isha, like because as the Rishonim explained and we find this throughout the period of the Tanakh that typically witchcraft was something that women were engaged in uh, we find it for instance uh, when um, in interactions with Izebel uh, and her witchcraft or her occult uh, and therefore, it's put into the feminine. Again, as we said, in the case of Shor, the Torah speaks in the usual social sense. The next pasuk seems to be disconnected, as does Mechashifah. We'll have to connect these. Kol motumat. Somebody guilty of bestiality shall be killed. And the next pasuk, Zoveach la Elohim yocharam. If somebody offers up a korban to the gods, here meaning to foreign gods, will be killed. Unless he offers it to Hashem, meaning it's only to Hashem that he offers it. Now these three laws, seem to be out of place. They seem to be disconnected from each other and they don't seem to fit within the rubric of Mishpatim, which up until now has been dealing with several civil issues and then came into the dangerous situation which this girl who... Um, had consensual sex with a man is going to be placed in and the protection for her. And so David C. Hoffman gives a beautiful explanation. He says that really touches on three different areas of life which were intertwined in many pagan cultures. One of them was occult practices, one of them was sexual deviancy, and then of course pagan practice itself. Uh, some of the Rishonim explain that bestiality is not coming from some weird fetish desire in man, but rather from some pagan ritual uh, or geastic rite. Mechashifa clearly is connected. And so in spite of the fact that we have a strong clarion call to protect the disenfranchised, to take care of, the, care of this girl, and we will pick it up in Pasuk Chaf and see more examples of taking care of those who are vulnerable. Nonetheless, someone who engages in essentially pagan culture does not have that protection, and the opposite. In every one of these cases, there's a different word used, but they are executed because they cannot really be part of the society. And indeed, it is their presence in the society that further endangers the vulnerable. And we go back to Pasuk Chaf and continue with looking at how the vulnerable are protected. The ger lo tonev lo tilchatsenu, a stranger. Now a ger is a term that has two different meanings. The meaning in the Torah is a stranger. Avram is told, ger your children will be strangers in a foreign land. The word ger, as it's used 
here and in Devarim seems to refer to a stranger who wants to join us, but not necessarily join us as a full-fledged Jew, but what we call a Ger Toshav. Ger in halachic literature refers to a convert, what we call a Ger Tzedek. But this may be a Ger Toshav. The Ger Lotoneh, do not oppress him, do not push him, meaning do not take advantage of him. He's an outsider. Now this is a short form of something that we hear later in Sefer Dvarim. You understand what it's like to be an outsider. And it's a tremendous sensitivity that the Torah inculcates here, which is, since you have gone through the bitter experience of being an outsider, of being disenfranchised, of being oppressed, of being on the underclass of society, you know how that feels, and you dare not subject anyone else to that unnecessarily. And here is an outsider who could easily be taken advantage of, and you may not do it because of your own experience in Mitzrayim. Following from that, call almana viatom lo ta'anun. Now, even though we're not allowed to oppress anybody, the almana and the atom, the widow and the orphan, an orphan in Torah refers to somebody who without a father, he has a mother, has no father. So this is now a family of an almana and the atom. Lo ta'anun, you may not oppress them. And what's the consequences of it? Very powerful poetic justice. If you indeed oppress him, him being the orphan, same would apply to the widow. If he does cry out to me, which means I'm not going to act on my own, God says, but if he cries out to me, I will indeed hear his cry. And then what will happen? I will get very angry. Now this is in the middle of a law code. When we expect to hear, do this, do that, here's the consequence of this, here's the legal ramifications of that, and suddenly we're hearing a very empathetic plea for protection, for, and with a very strong warning for protection of the underclass and of the vulnerable. I will get angry. I will kill you with the sword. If I kill you, you here as being the men, the leaders of society, and then your wives will be widows, and your children will be orphans, and then you will see how they will then suffer in the same way that you made others suffer. And so this is a warning of something which really falls under the general category of midah keneged midah, or poetic justice. And we then continue, im kesef talvetami. Now it's interesting, the word im, which means if, is a conditional sentence. It means you could do it, you not do it. If you do it, this is what happens. However, Chachamim tells us, Rabbi Shmuel teaches us, that there are three times that the Torah uses the word im, where it is not conditional, but it's an obligation. The classic example is at the end of Sefer Bamidbar, when Bnei Yosef come to Moshe with the complaint that if Benot Tzlofchad inherit territory and they marry out, that territory will leave the tribe. And then they say, im yovel livnei Yisrael. If the Yovel comes, what do you mean if the Yovel comes? Then the property will stay with that other tribe. The Yovel will always come. Every 50 years there's a Yovel. So it doesn't mean if it comes, it means when it comes. In Earlier in our parasha, we heard about <clears throat> a, an ox that is got a history of violence against people, and then the owner doesn't watch him, and he gets out and kills somebody. Then we say, the ox is killed, the owner is also killed. And then we say, Im kofer yushat alav. 
But if a ransom is placed on him, then he pays the ransom and doesn't die. And that im is not conditional, but rather to say, and then when we place the kofar, you pay that instead. This is the thir- third im, which is im kesef talvet me. If you lend money to my people, which means you will lend money to my people. When that happens, here's what you have to do, because you're obligated to lend money to another Jew who is in need uh, to help him get back on his feet. So it's ani imach lo Ha'ani imach, which means the poor man who's with you, which on a simple pshat level means in your community, and indeed the halacha based on psukim and parshat rei, indicates that proximity creates priority when it comes to tzedakah. So your own family comes first, and people in your town, people in the neighboring town, etc., etc. Interesting question was raised at the beginning, in the middle of the 19th century, whether Ani A Eretz Yisrael had a special spot in that hierarchy. Um, but Ani Imach, on an ideological level, gives you a whole different perspective, which is the poor man is with you. He's part of you. He's not some separate uh, uh, class, but he's part of you. So you can't be as one who chases him, who duns him for payment. And a separate prohibition is you may not place interest on him. And interest here is called neshech because it bites at you. It, 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 it is to bite. It keeps biting at you and biting away until everything is gone. One further piece, which is if you lend money to someone then and you're not confident that they're going to pay back, you may indeed take some collateral. So we're warned about that too, because who are typically the people borrowing money? The poor, the disadvantaged. And therefore, im chavol tachbol salmat reacha, achbol is to take as collateral. So if you seize as collateral, your friend's garment, ad bo hashemesh you have to return it to him before sunset. We're talking about a night garment here. Why? Ki suto levada. Meaning, that's the only garment he has. He's simlatole oro. That's the garment for his skin. What will he lie in? And then, if he calls out to me, because there he is, shivering, with nothing to wear, sleeping with no clothes, because he needed money, he borrowed money from you, you took his garments as collateral, and you didn't return them. In the evening, then what will happen? Again, if he cries out to me, I will hear him, because I am gracious. Now, notice, in both of these cases, about afflicting and oppressing the widow or the orphan, and about depriving someone of their clothes, because you've taken them as a pledge and you don't return them to them in the proper time, which, by the way, halachically, you have to return, night clothes at night, and big day yom, you can only hold at night and must return the first thing in the morning so you can wear them during the day. <clears throat> that in both of those cases, the Torah uses odd terminology. Not that God is going to initiate the punishment against you, but rather, if the victim, the one who's suffering, calls out to me, God says, I will indeed hear him, and then I will respond. But of course, we can be quite sure that if somebody is oppressed, as a result of our own bad behavior, that they will call out to God. And as promised here, God will hear their cries, and God will come and respond in kind. And as we saw in the first case, God will then reduce us to the same position that the people we oppressed were in. 
This brings us to the end of this section of the law code, relatively short section. The next section will take us really to some court proceedings and other laws that we will see in the next podcast. In the meantime, everybody should have a wonderful day.